We're on. Okay, good. <clears throat> good. Well, as you're seated, which we all are, please take out your Bibles and turn to our reading uh, today in Second uh, Peter, for, uh, chapter one, verses sixteen through twenty-one. We're in the middle of studying the book of Second Peter, and last week, uh, uh, Pastor Tom began our discussion of God's generous grace. Today we're hearing from Peter again as an eyewitness to grace. And so we'll be reading in our Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, there's a Bible in front of you if you didn't bring yours. And if you don't own a Bible, once again, please, please take that home as our gift because we really, really hope that you will take the time to read on a regular basis. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountains. We also have a, the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origins in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here to worship. We thank you that you are with us, that you love us, that you bring us your grace. You give us your grace every single day. You witness to your grace through the, through the prophets, such as the disciple Peter, who we're going to hear from today. We pray that Everything that's said here today honors you and glorifies you. And we pray for those that couldn't make it today, couldn't be here, that are away for whatever reason, that they might be worshiping you in their hearts as well. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, Pastor Tom introduced the idea of grace using the analogy of board games, if you remember that. He told us that grace puts us on the board, on the game board. In other words, throughout our journey of life, in all of life, actually, we can persevere primarily because of God's grace. Now, Pastor Tom also asked us what board game best describes our journey of faith. How many of you have been thinking about that question at all this week? Probably nobody, but I did. Okay. 
It's rather astonishing to think of your, of your faith in terms of board games, isn't it? But I must admit, that question captivated me most of this week. He suggested five board games, and you may have thought of some others that might have fit. For example, is your journey, journey of faith like Candyland or the game of chess? Is it like Monopoly or Battleship? Or perhaps your journey of faith is like the game of Scrabble. Now I admit, on the, on the surface, asking what board game best describes your journey of faith might just seem like simply a fun question. Or it might seem like a frivolous question. But the more I thought about it, the more it seems to me to be a profound question. And the more I thought about the question, the more profound it became. <clears throat> and in the end, I had to rewrite the beginning portion of my sermon today <clears throat> because it has some depth that I thought we should explore. Now, don't worry, it's not about the games. It's all about the experiences and expectations about faith in God and ultimately about our understanding of grace. So how does your journey of faith compare to some of these examples? I would like to be able to tell you that my journey of faith is like playing Candyland. If you remember the Candyland game board, there's only one path to travel. You and your opponents race to the end. There are obstacles to slow you down, and there are shortcuts that might speed you up, but otherwise, you just can't go wrong. There's only one way to go, and you'll eventually all get to the end. Unfortunately, there's nothing in my journey of faith, and maybe not yours as well, that has been as smooth or as direct as playing Candyland. Life and our understanding of God can be pretty bumpy. Well, Monopoly is one of my favorite games. Can you describe your, your journey of faith like Monopoly? I learned to play Monopoly when I was a child. And the rules I learned <clears throat> said that the banker got to use the bank's money as his or her personal funds. Since I was the oldest child, whenever I played with my siblings, I was always the banker. Now, oddly enough, I always won, and I never ran out of money. So you might say that I learned about being a corrupt businessman early in my life, long before the Enron scandal. I did eventually learn to play by the correct rules, and it was a painful experience. There are a lot of those, well, there are a lot of people whose faith is a lot like Monopoly, a Monopoly game, because it's as if it's, if it's based on how I play, God will reward me the way I deserve. If I pray a certain prayer or seed a certain amount of money in the offering, well, then God will bless me with prosperity and health right? But it's all determined by how I play because it seems that God can't or won't move until I do. Some of the televangelists you might have seen promote this exact type of faith. 
But as I read scripture, and hopefully as you read scripture, this isn't consistent with the God of love and grace that I know. So I had to think about another game. How about the game of battleship? It might be that if your faith journey ever included an ongoing battle between what you've done today and the question of whether you're still right for God, you might have been playing battleship. Every day your performance or your lack of performance is graded and your guilt can only be remedied by going to confession or by doing business with God, perhaps at an altar call. There are many, many faith traditions like this where our relationship with God seems to be in a battle. They focus on guilt, but they seem to miss God's love, forgiveness, and grace. Chess is a lot of fun. I always enjoy playing chess. But not if it describes your faith journey because it takes cunning and skill and strategic moves to win at chess. And there's no way we can work and strategize to earn our salvation. We can't buy God's grace. Jesus Christ gives us everything as a gift. Finally, the last game that Pastor Tom suggested was Scrabble. In the game of Scrabble, your job is to take a bunch of very random wooden tiles with letters on them to build words. And often the tiles that were dealt make no sense and seem impossible to use. Nothing goes together. Is your journey of faith like a great game of Scrabble? Well, after spending the week thinking about this, I've concluded that my journey of faith is indeed kind of like the game of Scrabble. And I suspect that many of you might say the same thing. I've had a lot of different influences in my life. And especially regarding my faith in God. So many, in fact, that a lot of the pieces don't seem to connect. I spent a lot of time, my time early in my life trying to figure out how things go together to live my life, and to make a coherent faith in God. And as a result, I would describe myself, come to the next slide, I would describe myself, and I'll say this slowly so that you might understand it, I would describe myself as a re-Lutheranized Luther, Baptist, Presby, Quaker, Nazarene. In other words, I started out Lutheran and went around the block and came back to being Lutheran again. Yes, I'm a re-Lutheranized Luther, Baptist, Presby, Quaker, Nazarene. Even saying that is is a lot like playing Scrabble. I just made up a word. May I share some of the pieces that went into that? that? Because it's a lot like playing Scrabble. My father was a Lutheran and my mother was a Roman Catholic. I was raised Lutheran, but most of my friends were something else. Some of, many of them were Baptists, so I went to church that, uh, uh, many of them were Baptists who went to churches to go out and win souls. They tried to win me. Sometimes I went to church with them. Well, thankfully, while I was in college, I met and was mentored by two Lutheran campus pastors who became very influential in my life. 
One of them introduced me to books by C.S. Lewis, and you'll see his picture up there in the corner. He's the author of The Chronicles of Narnia, if you've seen those movies, uh, and also another book called Mere Christianity. I own and have read virtually all of his writings about the Christian faith. And C.S. Lewis is by far the most influential person in my life. He is my personal example of God's grace working in me. Of course, while I was in college, I majored in science. And so atheism was also a scrabble piece for me to sort out. You may have heard that many believe that science proves that there is no God. Well, science proves no such thing. Don't ever believe it. And I was happily able to throw that Scrabble piece away while still doing well as a scientist. Quakerism was another piece of the puzzle for this Lutheran boy to figure out. When I met the young woman, Mary, who would later become my wife, she was a Quaker. Her father was a Quaker pastor. Quakers are a lot are more about are about more than just oatmeal. They're a small Christian denomination that's still around today. They were another tile for to piece together on my journey, Scrabble board journey of faith. And I learned through them the importance of living every day as a reflection of one's Christian faith. And every decision we make and every action we take should correspond with being a Christ follower. Those around us should benefit from the fact that we are Christ followers. Well, anyway, you get the picture. My journey of faith can be described as a game of Scrabble, and there have been a lot of pieces to sort out and put together, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if you had very similar experiences, at least in terms of having to piece together. What I learned through all of that Scrabble stuff it's, was who Jesus is and what he's like. That he loves you and he loves me. You and I are all broken, sinful people. But Jesus loves, loves us anyway. He went to the cross, died, and rose again all because he loves us and wants, to be in rela- wants us to be in relationship with him. Neither you nor I did anything to deserve it. But God loves us anyway, because that's what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. This is exactly what Peter is trying to remind us of in the scripture passages we read today. That God's grace, his unmerited favor toward us, is real, and that Peter and other disciples were witnesses to this truth. The beginning of our scripture reads, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories, and we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Peter is writing this letter so that we will remember, long after he's gone, we will remember 
trust and believe when we are forgetting and doubting God. When we're wondering whether Jesus is real, whether we're wondering whether Scripture is reliable, and whether we're questioning our faith, Peter is assuring us that the good news of Jesus Christ is not made up. We have been told these things about Christ by actual eyewitnesses. He continues. <clears throat> he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Three of the four gospel writers share the story of Jesus' transfiguration on a high mountain when he was seen by many of the disciples talking with Elijah and Moses. And in that moment, God audibly identifies Jesus as his son and urges the listening disciples to listen to him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke report this event, and Peter wants us to know that he was there too. He was an eyewitness. He wants us to know that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Peter reassures us that we have a re the reliable prophetic word that points toward forward to the coming of Christ. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. I love that description. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as if they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Once again, Peter wants this to be confident that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and the good news of his future coming return is also true because the word is not of human origin. Scripture and prophecy were spoke from God as if as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No matter what board game might describe your faith, the Apostle Peter wants us to know and wants you to know and remember the truth that he witnessed in person. And even though you don't deserve it and can earn it, Jesus Christ truly came and died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's all because God truly loves you. That's grace. Amen.